Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Finance Bro. We have real conversations with real people about money. The guest on the show today is one of my neos, very hardworking individual. Um, before we get into it, go ahead and introduce yourself, brother. Hey, good morning, afternoon, whatever it is where you are. I am. Uh, my name is Ahmed Alfred. I am a student at the Medical University of South Carolina. Um, currently pursuing my farm D. Uh, hopefully, when I finish my farm D, I'll be able to. Uh, continue to, to finish my PhD and from there, you know, wherever the money and the wind takes us. I like it. I like it. So, um, you know, the, the conversations around this show, of course, are about money and, you know, due to the profession that you're in and, you know, the education and things that you're seeking to be a part of. Um, one of the things that comes up a lot when it comes to personal finance is healthcare. So uh, this conversation with you today, you know, I would like to, kind of dig into the things that you see and the things that you've read about and that you've noticed in regards to um, how people's personal finances can affect their ability to, you know, do things like access good healthcare, access, you know, uh, quality medicines and things of that nature. So um, kind of leading into it, let's talk about first, what made you want to get into the pharmace pharmaceutical field? Um, so sort of jumping in, I went to the Naval Academy and I was a chemistry major there. Um, and they kind of had no opportunities for people like me to uh, pursue doctor degrees and, and, you know, become doctors after. And so once I left the academy, I went through, finished and came to the medical university, um, applied my chemistry degree and my bio uh, dual degree and sort of started working to try to find a field that would be right for me. And I planted myself right here with uh, pharmacology and pharmacotherapy really haven't looked back since I absolutely love everything that it is that I do. Oh man, that's, that's, that's great. I actually know nothing about any of that. You know, my, my skill set was on the engineering side. Um, but it's, it's great that you, you know, were able to find that and push forward. And along with that, you know, uh, for those of you who are watching who do know AJ is what we call him AJ. Um, for those of you that don't, he's actively creating things to try to create, um, more programs and assistance for the community. So, I think a lot of that is driven by the things that he is also seeing in regards to our ability to obtain, you know, useful healthcare and whatnot. So the first question I kind of have for you is, you know, do you see that the Afri African-American community under underutilizes um, mental health treatment? And if so, what are the follow-on effects from that? Absolutely. So um, sort of in regards to stigmas, there's just a negative attitude and beliefs that we as a whole, our community has towards mental health and, and healthcare in generally, uh, you know, in, in general to, to really sum it up, but the most difficult aspect that we still are facing as far as mental health is concerned is that there's a generational divide. And so a larger part of this uh, generational divide that has the negative attitude uh, towards, you know, healthcare are the ones that are beginning to, you know, find themselves in the older to geriatric uh, level health group. And so those are the ones that we know, you know, face the most uh, challenging mental disorders. Uh, if, you know, just to, to sort of sum it all up, uh, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, a lot of those purely psychological disorders that we face and things, depression, uh, your body just starts to break down over time. And, you know, you're born with deficiencies. There's all kinds of things that can and do happen in the brain that we as a community uh, just have not acknowledged and, and recognized uh, medically for a long time. And so in looking at studies and things that have just come out, there was one study that showed that 63% of black people believe that mental health condition is a sign of personal weakness. And so in fighting stigmas like this, it makes it so difficult for us to be able to get on board and start to move forward as a community to you know, help better our own community. Wow, that's actually, I didn't know any of that. So that's actually great information. So along with that, right, because I know, let's say, for instance, like for guys like me who got out of the military, it's actually pretty difficult to know how to obtain, let's say, mental health services, right? Um, and for those of us who don't have health care, it can be even more difficult, right? Because they have to fork over the money to pay for these services. And there's a lot of people who are like, I already have enough money going to things. I can't afford to pay for this, even though it's something that they may need, you know, dr they may need uh, drastically. They may not also be able to afford to get those services. Um, 
do you know if there's any services out here that will kind of help people who can't really afford to pay for these services on their own um, or something that can, you know, support them with getting that support without breaking the pockets? Absolutely. I think it's one of the biggest things that, you know, a lot of people don't take into consideration is that I think in 2018, upwards of 12% of the entire Black adult population in the U.S. had no form of health insurance at all. And so if you have health insurance, you kind of understand the amount of co-pays and coverages and the actual cost of care versus, you know, what you're made to pay uh, if you have insurance. Um, if you don't have great insurance, unfortunately, healthcare is a results-based organization. And so the better results you have, the more people are going to look towards you and utilize your products, the more you can charge. And it's just, it's, you know, it's democracy at its finest, um, but it, it makes it difficult to really ensure a fair uh, and equal balance of healthcare options for everybody. Um, when you include uh, that socioeconomic factor into treatment options, those take away from the options that we have for, you know, Black people, uh, top line, first class type treatments, the best types of treatments, vaccinations, medicines that we have are expensive and they're going to continue to, you know, rise in price. And so health insurance and those options help lower the out-of-pocket costs for people. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, with out great health insurance or even with health insurance sometimes those prices are, are still really high and so i think as a medical provider and a lot of things that medical providers should be doing is educating ourselves on the options that patients can have um, in regards to you know bridging that disparity of health and cost uh, a lot of things that people are sort of moving towards these days our copay cards for prescriptions and things like that, GoodRx, uh, but we're seeing more and more pharmacies start to not take GoodRx and those online copay cards just because they lose money when they try to help people out because, you know, the insurances and everybody else that gives them the, the money and the prescriptions aren't going to reimburse them for it. And so I'm really disincentivized as a healthcare provider to offer better solutions to patients because I'm not going to get rewarded for it. I'm not going to get reimbursed at all. So it's almost like I'm paying for the direct care of my patients. And so mm. some people don't mind, you know, taking a hit in, in certain aspects, but overall as a, you know, as a business model, it's not the best to be able to say, you know, I'm paying for my patient's care and I'm, you know, getting nothing out of it. And so um, examples of the things that we have to sort of help this are, foundations, uh, government funding, um, free clinics. There's just so many options that people don't know about that we have mm -hmm. in the community uh, that you know people should know more about. Um, I think the, the greatest example of a tool that not very many people utilize is the FQHC. And FQHC is a federally qualified health center. And so essentially uh, they qualify for funding under section 330 of the Public Health Services Act, which is, you know, legislature on putting money aside for people to get health care that cannot afford it. Um, to qualify as an FQHC, all you have to do is make sure that you are serving an underserved or underprivileged area or population. And so if you can prove that you're serving people, you know, homeless people, Black people, um, the Hispanic populations that come as migrant workers from other countries, the, all of these examples of underserved populations are the prime groups that do not have health insurance or do not have high quality health care and are not provided the opportunities for high quality care because of that disparity. And so they basically take all of this money from Congress, set it aside and reimburse those health centers and you know me medical providers that otherwise would be taking a hit to provide high quality care. And so, um, you know, there, there's FQHCs all across the nation. Um, one FQHC that we have here in Charleston is uh, FEDER Healthcare Network. Um, you, all you have to do is really Google FQHC near me, and they will almost undoubtedly have some sort of health center in your area that you may or may not know about that has options that you may or may not have known about before looking into it. And just knowing what to look and where to look 
uh, you know, makes the difference. A lot of times mm-hmm. um, they provide comprehensive health services, screening, tests, dental services, everything that you may need are provided in so many different places. Um, but, you know, people don't know about it. And even these FQHCs, the pharmacies have 340B funding. And so that's another government mandated, you know, fund that they put aside and they make these drug uh, manufacturers and everybody that's involved in the pharmaceutical process cut their prices, cut the rates, cut everything down so that, you know, we can get it at a, at a cheap price so that we can give it to you at a cheap price. And so that's been the most influential thing that I've seen used in practice as a uh, pharmacist. But even still, there's foundations like the healthcare or health well foundation. Um, I own personally a 501c3, a nonprofit charity that we sort of take funds in and accumulate them and help patients in the uh, Charleston area sort of provide access to their medications, their co-pays help pay for a lot of those uh, expenses that they incur in the Medicare uh, medical care process. Um, but these, these are all options that nobody really talks about, nobody really knows about, and it can really deter people from even wanting to go to the doctor because they know if, I, if I'm sick and I go to the doctor, I'm paying at least 200 before I get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to do those any, anymore. And you, you know, we, we have options for people uh, cheaper options and they're getting cheaper by the year by the day um, but we've just got to continue to promulgate the fact that it is important to seek health care and it is important to seek affordable adequate health care on top of that affordable and adequate are two things that are the next step first we need to as a community start emphasizing the importance of care in your body and, and health and wellness And then once we start to move there, mental health, mental wellness, then we can start working on those financial pricing aspects, I believe. Wow. Okay. That's actually a a lot of good information. A lot of good information. So um, you said it's called the FQHC? FQHC. Okay. And then so, and that's for, so if I don't say I didn't have insurance, I could pull up to one of those and like, they would be able to help me out to be seen for whatever the medical issues or whatever I need um, without breaking the pocket or breaking the bank. Absolutely. You show up and you say, hey, I would like to be seen today, tomorrow, next week. This is my problem. I do not have health insurance. I do not have a lot of money. I probably cannot afford these services. Otherwise, you know, I I wouldn't be here. And so they come, they take you in, they take your information. They say, hey, do you have, um, you know, your bank statements? Do you have, uh, you know, basically prove to us that you don't have any money. You you can do as a W-4 you can use any sort of proof of income to mm-hmm. say, Hey, I'm, I'm only getting 1600 a month, you know, from work and 11 of that is my mortgage or, uh, you know, 15 of that, it goes to rent. They say, okay, this is reasonable. We just need something that we can put on record so that when we build the government essentially, you know, and say, Hey, this is the person that we help today. And this is us proving that they can't afford it. Then we can start to apply those sliding scale fees and things like that onto your care so that you can come and pay no more than $60 max for a a doctor's appointment where otherwise, you know, you would see 100, 200, 300 for just the appointment, not even including the, you know, prescriptions that you may be diagnosed at the the doctor's appointment. Wow. This this is a lot of good information. Like I, and you know, watch because you see so many things on the news and on social media and in different aspects of how, especially like the African-American community is disproportionately affected um, in the, in the healthcare um, realm, because we don't have access to a lot of things that, um, you know, you would think everyone should have access to. And like you said, I think a lot of it probably is due to education because like now everything that you just mentioned I have never heard of, and I'm sure there's going to be a ton of listeners on here that also have never heard of these things. Right. And, um, but the question, you know, it brings up another question of like, you know, how, how do we get that information out there? Right. For one. And then two, <clears throat> once that information is out there, you know, how do we encourage people to act on it? Right. Cause that's the other thing. Cause you got, I'm not, you got people like me to just, I'm not going to go to the doctor unless somebody drags me there half the time. Right. Even though I should probably go for some things, it's just, there's a negative stigma around it because you see 
or hear these stories about, you know, people going to certain, there's certain hospitals that people say, I will never go into because people don't come out and things like that. Right. Um, which I don't know if you've read a lot or experienced things like that, but I'm sure you're very familiar with, with stories like that. Absolutely, Eric. And, and unfortunately, one of the biggest things that we deal with, you know, as a provider side is provider bias, inequality of care, um, you know, having our colleagues not kind of understand a lot of the cultural challenges that they face and dealing with these populations. Ultimately, as a doctor, you don't technically have to, you know, make those considerations but you also decrease your quality of care and the ability to serve larger populations when you don't cater to those populations. And so mm -hmm. what I really do strive to emphasize, even with my own colleagues is, Hey, make sure you're, you're culturally aware, make sure you're trying to do your best for people that you may know, do not want to come see you. Hey, if you're, you know, a, a white male physician and you're serving older black females, understand that there will be an inherent distrust of anything that you say. And it's not because you are a, a poor physician or it's not anything that you may have done at all in your life. There are just those cultural stigmas and, and stereotypes and, and distrust that are, are very valid from those, uh, from those you know, communities mm -hmm. that still we're working to overcome day to day. And so we're just now starting to see a lot more black doctors and, and black lawyers and and black firefighters that we're, we're being represented uh, incrementally, you know, but still, we're still in the, you know, the single digits as far as percentages are concerned. And so we have to give people these outlets for culturally competent care. And so I can provide culturally competent care to members of my community, because I'm extremely familiar and competent with all of the socioeconomic, uh, you know, physical and, and, and cultural aspects that may go into sitting down and having a conversation. Um, yes, ma'am, no ma'am can be the difference between somebody believing that, you know, you know what you're doing as a doctor. And so regardless of the, the years and decades of schooling and things that you've done, um, you know, some people would much rather stay home and, and crush a ginger root and put it in some water and drink it than to come seek out your expert professional care and so while that can be frustrating, um, you know, for a lot of providers, uh, we still have to work past those things because we want to help people. We came into this profession to help people. So in working to help more and more people, we have to be able to provide culturally competent care and, and erase that inequality of care that we see across those groups. Okay. All right. So now kind of switching it up a little bit, but so since you're in the pharmaceutical world, um, and this is, of course, a show that talks about personal finance and, and money and all those things. Do you, what have you seen in regards to financial standing and how it affects the quality of medicine available to people? There's the biggest difference uh, in quality of care in regards to pharmacology and pharmacotherapy and any, you know, in, I guess, compared to any other field, um, Medical doctors or MDs, they go to school for, you know, four to, to 12, however many long uh, years, surgeries and things are all covered by insurances. However, when you go to the doctor, you're seen by the doctor, they do the exams, they do the ultrasounds, they do whatever, and then they send you to the pharmacy. Drugs are, are not cheap. They're not cheap to, they're not crazy cheap to make, and they're definitely not crazy cheap to distribute. Um, and unfortunately, the pharmaceutical industry um, is one that is very cavalier and it's very difficult to uh, break into just because of the nature of pharmacology. Uh, you know, if you're not a PharmD, PhD, MD, you probably wouldn't know where to start in manufacturing drugs. And so mm. you can corner the market by putting a patent on a drug that can be the cure to cancer. And so if I know I have the cure to cancer or treatment rather, if it's good, then I'm going to charge more for it. And so if it's great, I'm going to charge more for it. And if it's excellent, I'm going to charge even more for it because mm -hmm. I know that people will be seeking out the best options for treatment. And so whereas supply and demand have those options, 
if I know my drug that I created isn't as good as those, I can charge a little bit less for it and still make some money. But I know ultimately people will continue to get sick. They will continue to get hypertension, high blood pressure. They will continue to get diabetes. They will continue to get cancer. And I can just make a kind of okay drug that's really cheap and people will still come and buy me. So even providers like Tiva of the worst generic drugs and, and atenolol, all these terrible, you know, outdated drugs that we, we as providers sort of move away from because we know all of the, the negative risks associated with bad drugs, sometimes there's no other option. And so that's the most difficult aspect as a doctor or as a pharmacist or, or you know, as a healthcare community as a whole, the better treatment options almost always will be the more expensive treatment options. And so when you have those health plans and the health insurance plans, uh, they do their best to try to make those first line and better healthcare options available. Um, but even still within those formularies, you, you oftentimes see a bias towards, okay, if this is a little bit better, but it's a thousand dollars more expensive, we're doing the, the second best thing, just you know, as a, as a cost benefit analysis that they do. And so too often we start to see that nickel and dime game pull lesser and lesser and lesser for larger companies that want to continue to make more money. Um, Aetna, as the, for example, only made 8 billion in profit last year. And so they started seeking out ways to start, right, to, to start cutting corners and, and you know, declining access to high quality healthcare for their constituents, which is, it may seem unethical, but unfortunately it, it's legal. And so I can say, hey, I don't feel like you should be getting this surgery. Why well, I don't feel like you should be getting this medication. I think that, you know, as a business major sitting down in this room, it'd be best for you to get this medication. So we're gonna cover that medication. And if you don't want this medication, if you want the better one, then you're gonna have to pay for it yourself. And, and that's that. That's crazy. So basically, people who are <clears throat> in a lower, lower tax bracket, if you will, are kind of funneled into getting the less than ideal drugs, because that's what they can afford. Right. And even within those tax brackets, they have health plans for levels. you know, that you can have bad insurance, good insurance, okay insurance, great insurance, even within the same insurance company, there's different plans that they offer. They say, okay, we'll probably cover some of the good drugs here for $50 a month, or if your premium's $500 a month, you have access to all the great drugs. And so it, it, it seems almost counterintuitive to sit and say, you know, this is what is real and this is what is fair. But unfortunately, there's no laws to say that anything has to be fair in our society. So we, we do our best to kind of find it somewhere in the middle. And so that's what I hope to do with a, a PharmD and a PhD, eventually move into the industry and try to work as far as, you know, cutting prices, cutting, you know, figuring out how we can still have a translational approach to the drug discovery process and then distribution of these drugs at, you know, fractions of the cost and, and increased quality of care while decreasing cost of care to find some sort of reasonable intermediate. Okay, that's, so <clears throat> with that, right? So does the FQHC, is that's a solution? So when people use that, are they, are they getting better drugs through that? Or, you know, better, I say medications through that? Or is it still like, because, hey, this is a government funded, like kind of thing, we're gonna give you kind of the stuff that we wanna pay for, and you're not gonna get like the top line stuff still. So if you go through an FQHC, if they have a pharmacy attached to the health center, most likely they will have access to 340B funding. And so what that does is it will go to the people that make the drug and say, hey, we're going to give you money to offer your drugs to people at a lower price. And so all of the drugs that are offered are at a much lower price. When I have to pay less for a drug as a pharmacist, I can offer that drug to a patient for a much lower price, right? Because if I have my standard 15% markup and I bought this drug for $1,000, I'm 
I'm going to have to charge the patient $1,150. And then their insurance will maybe pay 600 towards it. And so if insurance says, hey, I'm only paying $600 for this drug, then that means the patient's got $550 left on their copay, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yes. And so with FQHCs and 340B funding for those pharmacies, they say, hey, I'm going to take this and give this drug to you for $400. And they're getting their extra $600 from the government on the back end. But when they give it to me for $400, I can bill the insurance, say, hey, I'm giving this medication to the patient. The insurance says, we're only paying $600 for this drug. Boom, I'm making a profit of $200 as a pharmacy. Now the patient gets the medication for free or pennies on a dime, whatever the copay that the insurance plan has set. Mm -hmm. If you pay $3 for that medication, me as a pharmacy, I've made $203. Mm-hmm. The insurance has paid, patient gets their medication for $3, whereas they would have had to pay $500 for it. Everybody's happy. Now, as an FQHC in a, a pharmacy, I can take that extra $200 that I made and reinvest it back into my center and other places to where you said you didn't have health care to come in to pay for this doctor's visit. I can now only charge you $60 or $100 or whatever it was as a fraction of a cost of what it was to meet my bottom line so that I can continue to operate. If that mm. makes sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. So, all right, that's great. So then <clears throat> jumping into another, another thing, right? So, um, you know, I know we talked about like therapy and we kind of started talking about mental health. So I kind of want to ask, what are some ways that people can find solutions to, to help supplement the services such as therapy that they may deem too expensive and then, you know, where can they find these services? I think the first thing that we can do is talk about it. Everybody needs to talk about it. Everybody needs to promulgate the information. Everybody needs to say, hey, I've been to a therapist. I felt like it was productive. I think you should go as well. I'd be willing to help support you in any way you need so that you feel better. You're doing better. You have access to adequate mental health care and you will be better off for it. I think that the thing that we too often think as far as a community is that you won't get anything out of, you know, therapy is basically paying a whole bunch of money to sit down and talk about your feelings where there are these people that have been trained, educated, schooled for years, decades of experience in dealing with this particular specialty that are trained to help in this way people like us. And so in the same way, if you go on the internet and Google, you know, rash back of leg and they give you a diagnosis on the internet, that's the same thing as, as saying, okay, I'm just a little sad. I may be a little depressed. I'm just going to work, you know, and, and think about it and, and push through it. When you go to the doctor, they say, hey, actually it's not, you know, this is impetigo and you need life-saving med- medication. You need this, you need that. The difference is these professionals that are trained to identify diagnose, treat, or specialists. And the same as doctors and the same as, you know, nurses, we all specialize in the things that we do in the healthcare field. So to have a trust in healthcare professionals is the first step. If you believe that you can do a better job of gauging your own mental, you know, disorder or mental state than a a psychiatrist could do, you're just dead wrong. And, and that's because you haven't placed your trust and faith in the years and decades of schooling, preparation, training that these great providers have done. And unfortunately, not every doctor is a great doctor. And so you can have a poor experience with one person. And so that will lead you off from your experiences with the other 1 million doctors in the, the US that actually do take their job seriously and want to do their best for you. And so that's, that's unfortunately what we see. And we're starting to transition as providers, this new era and this new generation of healthcare providers that are young, culturally competent, they have a desire and a passion for care and they want to help people. And they, they understand, hey, it's not okay to just say, tough it out. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to seek help, know how to help people, know when you cannot help people and you know, know who to send them to. Um, there's the black mental health resources in the U S are countless. 
there are so many hmm. organizations that are dedicated to black health, black women's health, black men's health, uh, trans LGBT community health. The, there, there's so many resources that nobody knows about, which is, it's disheartening as a provider and, and as somebody who has sought out treatment, who has benefited from treatment, mental health treatment, that, you know, I, I wish more people did this from a non-doctor side, from a, a healthcare provider side. I'm like, man, all it takes is a Google search. Look up, you know, black mental health resources near me, free black mental health resources near me. Uh, you know, if you have a job, say, hey, do you all have uh, an employee assistance program? 99% of large employers do. You know, if, you, if you're not self-employed, then you probably do have some sort of employee assistance program that will offer you access to free counseling services, free, you know, mental health care services. Um, I think First Son is an example of an employee assistance program that will pay for up to eight different sessions with the therapist in your local area, whether wow. it's virtual or in person, that you can go to for free. Whereas if you've ever paid for and done, you know, counseling services, you know that it can get expensive. Mm -hmm. Even with insurance, it can get expensive. I paid almost 100 to $150 per session when I went in and, and did my own therapy. And I wish that I could have utilized these you know, resources. I wish I would have known about these resources before going into it. And that's an EAP, Employee Assistance Program, that a lot of large uh, you know, employers have. You just got to know who to ask. You got to know where to go. If you go to Human Resources, you know, say, hey, is there an Employee Assistance Program that we have you know, as a company? Say, yes, this is their information. Call them. Give them your information. Tell them what you need. They'll hit you back and say, hey, yes, you know, we have a, a Black female uh, you know, psychologist that works in Charleston that you can go see. If you want somebody else, somebody different, please let us know. We can accommodate that. We want to help you. And so as a Black man, I felt the most comfortable with a Black female psychologist. I didn't know where to seek out a good Black female psychologist mm -hmm. until I went and, and did the research. And so in the U.S., we've got Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. Black Men Heal, Black Mental Health Alliance, Black Mental Wellness, Black Women's Health Imperative, Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, Brother You're On My Mind, Ebony's Mental Health Resources, Hurdle, Melanin and Mental Health, Ourselves Black. There's so many foundations. There's so many options, opportunities that we have that you may have heard of one or two of the ones that I've you know just said but nobody knows about it. nobody understands nobody has ever talked about it before and so you wouldn't know where to start you wouldn't even know to to go and ask your your you know your your job can you guys pay for my therapy a yeah. lot of a lot of employers do and they you know I wouldn't want to tell you that because as an employer that's just going to cost more for me but I legally have to have these things set in place unemployment insurance all of these things were mandated by the government to have those options for you so it's just, you know, that if you want to get better and you're dedicated to getting better, there are options for you. And so too often, there are people that want to seek out that help that don't know where to go. And so once we've started the conversation, then we start talking about how do I get this access? What do I have to do? You know, how long is it going to take? And what can I expect to, to see from that? It doesn't take very long. I think with EAPs, you can be scheduled within the same week. They've got hotlines that you can call if you need immediate counseling. You can, you know, schedule them ahead of time to work with your work schedule on the weekends. There are so many options and cheap options that you have access to mm -hmm. that nobody knows about, nobody talks about that make them underutilized. And so unfortunately, when they're underutilized, they don't receive funding. They don't sort of serve their purpose. Then they have to disband over a long period of time. Because nobody's coming to get black health, you know, mental health care. And that's the only point of my organization. And so we're almost disincentivized as a black mental health organization to, you know, not start pushing the, the agenda. And when you see people start to push the agenda, there's either a pushback or there's a, a total acceptance. And rarely will you find people that are 
kind of on the fence, but if you are on the fence, this is, you know, this is the, the, the call. This is the point that should be, you know, turning your eyes and ears to yes. In the same way that your brain is an organ in the body. If my heart started to not work the right today, I'm going to go to a cardiologist to make sure that my heart is better because I have a desire to live a, a good, you know, a high quality life and a long life. Mental health is the same. Your brain is the same. Depression, not a lot of people know, is actually just a dysregulation or too much or not enough of one of the three main neurotransmitters uh, in the brain, serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. Generally, with most levels of sort of low-level depression, you can see, okay, you don't have enough serotonin or your body's getting rid of it too fast, or you've got too much dopamine, not enough dopamine. Things are happening in your life that if we pair these medications that are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which keep the serotonin from getting broken down in your body, and counseling that helps you figure out ways to naturally produce more, uh, more serotonin in your daily life, because it can be very psychosomatic. These things all help to balance your body and treat the underlying causes of the depressions, the, you know, the, and other, any other mental health issue that you could think about. There's professionals trained on these things that, you know, want to do their best, but we've got to know to seek out the professionals, the specialists, and sort of where to go from there. You know, it's interesting that you said, you know, Googling black health services, because as a guy that is always Googling things and researching things, that's back when I remember I spoke to you at one time about looking for different services and things. And that never even crossed my mind. And I think it, it wasn't necessary because I didn't want it. Like I, I would love to have access to those things, but I guess is a, we're so used to seeing that we don't have the support that we don't look at what's available. And if it's there, because in my mind, it didn't exist. Right. Because I've, I had never heard anyone speak about it, which is, which is, um, I, I definitely want to get this message out more and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing because that this is huge. I mean, I know a lot of, I know a lot of people right now that could instantly benefit from this information. Um, you know, possibly meeting some people being some of them, you know, there's different programs and things that we may be able to utilize, um, that we may not have known about. Cause for instance, like, you know, um, with therapy, like I, my first, uh, therapy session was with a, with an older white lady. Like, there's just no connection there. You know, like I couldn't, I didn't even feel comfortable speaking to her about certain things just cause I know she wouldn't be able to relate. Right. And there, but there was a, it wasn't available. I didn't even see, you know, um, black therapists around to be able to speak to, but knowing that these programs are out now, you know, that's a game changer. Cause all you need to do, okay, cool. I can reach out and you can find one that works and do those things. And that can work with you financially. Cause that's another thing is, um, you know, me on my side with the, with the, um, helping people with their personal finances, that's, this is one of the conversations that comes up a lot, especially when it comes to healthcare. Cause a lot of them like, Hey, I can't afford insurance or, Hey, I, I have, you know, the insurance that I got through my job, but it doesn't cover much. So I'm, I'm behind on my medications. I can't get this. I can't get seen. You know, if I go to a doctor's visit, like you said, if I go, it's going to cost me at least $200. I can't do that. I physically can't. Now, of course there's things, right. You have kind of two different scenarios when you get there, right. You have the people who just physically do not make enough money, which is, that's a whole other problem of its own. Right. And then you have the people who could make enough money, but they don't have the correct financial habits in place to start to accommodate these other things that due to healthcare, right? But when you boil it all back down, I think what you said was spot on. Like we just have to know that it's there and seek the information. And but I I I do think that the people need to start hearing this conversation more. Like I mean I I how many times I haven't sat in the household ever where we talked about, you know, uh things that are available for us uh health wise. Like that's just not a conversation that's had. I mean, you know, we as a community typically avoid talking about medical things anyways, but I think um, with what you're doing, um, I know you have like things, you post a lot of good information on uh, Instagram on your pages. I see a lot. And I think that stuff is beneficial. And I definitely want to find a way to get that information out there more because there's a lot of people who are super stressed right now because they can't, they, they can't afford it, whether it's because, you know, they just don't have good financial practices or they don't make enough money. But at the end of the day, kind of like you said er earlier, everyone should have access to good health care because that 
without that, you can't do anything. It's, it's difficult to get yourself together and be able to focus on getting your finances together if your mental is jacked up, you know? And to, to your point, I think a lot of people want to know, what can I do right now? My finances are messed up. You know, I don't have insurance. I, I can't do anything else. Um, Self-care is the lowest level of care that we have. And a lot of people don't know how to perform self-care and especially within the the black community self-care is very directed towards holistic medicine whereas there are a lot of other approaches and i will admit i'm biased because i'm a pharmacist but you know i i think that we should take a step back from the holistic medicine approach and say hey what are we doing to really acknowledge the things that are here but nobody thinks to think about anticipatory grief Mm. Nano is 97. What are we doing to accommodate, you know, ourselves to understand when my mother, when my grandmother gets to this age, when my father, you know, my, my personal hero, my mentor gets to this age and they're not doing so well. I know that in the next three to six months or, or year or two years, they could be taken away from me and that could drastically affect my lifestyle and the things that we do, what am I doing right now to better prepare myself to be able to cope with this grief? Also, racial battle fatigue in America, it's extremely difficult to be a person of color working amongst your peers when you have so many things, you know, working against you. We, we don't have to talk about that today, mm -hmm. but what we can do is acknowledge that this is stress. That is stress. Racial battle fatigue is stress. A lot of people hear the word PTSD and think about war, but mm -hmm. they don't understand that stress can be traumatic. It can cause trauma. It can make you not be able to otherwise function how you would have. So that's trauma. Stress causes trauma. And after you have trauma from that stress, you have to continue to work through life. And post-traumatic stress is a disorder. PTSD is a mental health disorder. You can have PTSD from simply being a person of color in America, having to struggle with the, the daily struggles that you live with. And so if you're not seeking out care for PTSD, it can drastically affect your care and your, your quality of life and the things that you're able to do. Nobody takes a, a second to sit back and think, hmm, there's a lot of different types of psychological issues and things that could be taken away from my overall capacity that I, I don't even know about. I could be I have two children and, you know, I, I struggle to, to make ends meet. That's stress. That's traumatic stress. Do I need to seek out, you know, mental health for financial problems? Absolutely. There's, there's directories. There's, there's so many people that are willing and able to help in any way, shape, or form. All you have to do is reach out and start the conversation and say, hey, I've just got a lot on my mind and heart. I'm working hard. I'm doing all these things. I need help. Even if you don't need help, I would benefit from help. If I see you carrying a hundred pound dumbbell across the, the beach, okay, you can probably get it to the other side, but wouldn't it be easier if I helped you? Mm. Wouldn't it be easier if we got some people to come help you carry this burden to get to where you want to go? Mm. We've got people that want to help you. You don't have to carry that burden on your own. You don't have to continue to fight these stresses and, and not be prepared and, and not live your best life. And so reaching out to a treatment directory, like there's the National Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network. If you're trans or queer and you want another trans black psychologist to care for you, there's people out there. Wow. There's networks, there's, there's so many options that people have that they do not know about that if we just start the conversation, we'll get there eventually. And, and the more and more we talk about it, the more and more we'll realize, hey, I think like there definitely should be something for that. We live in the age of information. If you just Google it, look it up, you know what to look and where to look, 99% of the time it's going to be there. Wow. Yeah, you so you you're hitting on a lot of a lot of great things. Like this is this is actually really good. I'm uh I'm taking notes myself because there's um there's some things that I know people personally that can benefit from this and like i'm going to pass this information to them today because i think this is great and um kind of to dive back into what we were just talking about a second ago um 
do you think that in the long term, <clears throat> when people don't seek solutions like these for medical, it can end up costing them more in the long term and do like through like, let's say like you talked about self-diagnosing, right? Like I know me, oh, I think I have this. I've bought tons of medicines that may not have been the right things I need. They were already expensive in the, in Walgreens and CVS and all these things that may not even done what I need to do, but I'm buying these things over and over again, because I think I know what I'm doing where maybe if I would have just went to the, to someone who was a, a professional, I could have, you know, had that thing one time and then figured it out and maybe got it paid for without coming out of pocket for those things. Absolutely. As a student, I know we, we've got budgets there, you know, you're a poor, broke college student. You're, you can be a broke grown man. You can, there's so many, things that we face day to day and when we say hey I've got this ginseng or this you know this rose quartz whatever it is that you spent money on you know as far as holistic care is concerned self-care is free you you sit down you're very cognizant of the things that you have but you have to know how to care for yourself and that's where the professionals come in they say hey instead of you know spending money on liquor on the weekends or you know the the incense that you burn to try to take away from your stress. How about, you know, we sit down and try to be deliberate about making a list of things that you're stressed about and how we can mitigate mm. those stressful things in your life. Let's sit down and, and think about all of the things that we anticipate having to grieve over the next six months and start working on coping mechanisms that are healthy so that when they come, we're not thrown into a spiral. Let's talk about depression. Let's talk about anxiety anxiety can greatly take away from your life it can take years off your life stress can take years off your life let's talk about those things let's sit down let's make plans let's do something that you otherwise would not have done so that you can be better than you otherwise would have and so that's what you'll get from going at the very least to a, a you know a, a healthcare provider a therapist a psychologist the people that were trained to stay okay, they're tough. He's a 45-year-old Black man that's been working hard. He's been, you know, fighting his whole life. Yeah, he, he could probably continue throughout the rest of his life without help, but why would you do it the hard way when you could do it the easy way and nobody is going to think any less of you for it and you'd be better for it? Mm. So you, you mentioned something that I really liked and I kind of want to go through this real quick. So you talked about healthy versus unhealthy coping mechanisms, right? So let's say back in the Marine Corps, you know, that's a it's a high stress environment, typically at all times, right? It's always something going on. You always got to do something right. And I had a lot of Marines that I saw with, un, let's say, unhealthy coping mechanism, right? Which is typically what drinking and smoking cigarettes, right? And um, the cigarette one in general, because I had Marines that were smoking a pack a day and going through maybe a carton a week, which is, I looked at the prices of a carton of cigarettes and that ridiculous. is ridiculous, right? But these guys are buying a carton a week that, is, that ends up being thousands of dollars over their lifetime because they're not, they don't know that they have ways to deal with distress as well. So I think that's, that's great because these, they, these unhealthy coping mechanisms that we use can end up affecting us financially as well. I don't know. Would you agree with that? And I'll tell you, Eric, the, the thousands of dollars that you spend on these cartons of cigarettes are pennies on the dollar to the treatments and care that you will need later in life for hepatocellular carcinoma, lung cancer. When you, you've got liver cancer, lung cancer, because your liver is just dead and your, your lungs do not work anymore. And you've been punishing your body with these unhealthy coconuts for so long. When you're 85, you can stop smoking today. And that may increase your, your chances of continuing life. However, the damage has been done. Your lungs do not work anymore. They barely take in oxygen. So you're going to have to pay for the oxygen tanks. You're going to have to pay for your treatment. You're going to have to pay for your inhalers. If you've been drinking as a coping mechanism, you go through the stages of those liver diseases. And then once you've got end-stage liver disease, your body just shuts down. It won't you know, filter out the toxins that won't work the way it's supposed to. And the, the treatments and care that you're going to have to, to do later on in life are, are so much more expensive and so much worse than if you would just take care of yourself now, get out of the habit of, of having very bad coping mechanisms, seek help, say, hey, I drink a lot and I enjoy drinking, but is this a psychological disorder? Absolutely, substance use disorder. And that's something that 
a psychologist or a therapist would be able to help you diagnose and say, hey, even if you feel like this isn't like detrimental, we need to sit down and, and talk about you smoking a, a gram of, of weed a day. We need to sit down and have a, a conversation about you having a beer every time you come home from work. You know what I'm saying? That mm. these things take years off your life. They're detrimental. Are you coping because you're tired, you're stressed? What happened at work that made you feel like you needed to, to have a beer? Okay, you're coming home to your family, your wife, husband, kids, and, and you're drinking a beer to, to take it down. Could you sit down on the couch and have everybody come together and, and talk about what was you know tough during the day and how you know they're going to work tomorrow to try to make sure that that's not stressful? And would that be equivalent to the same amount of you know edge taken off as a cigarette or a beer? There, there's so many things that professionals can try to help you to do. And the, you know, they, we exhaust our resources and training. I will try everything before I just say, you know, you, you only live once, just do what you got to do. Yeah. There's a difference between having a high quality of, you know, of life and just sort of struggling your way through. And I have no desire to struggle through life. So I, I don't want anybody that I know or the people that I love to continue to struggle as well in any way. That's, that's, that's spot on, spot on. So the last thing before we wrap up, I, I heard you say a, a, a phrase one time, and I kind of want you to go through this saying for the audience, but it, it went something like a, to man up is going to end up in a man down. Absolutely. So, so the stigmas that we face and the expectations that we have, and I'll harp on black men here today um, to, to just be tough, you know, to, to be resilient and to be stubborn are three different things. You can be tough, but you can be ineffective. You can be resilient, you know, but you cannot be effective. You can be stubborn and just be very, you know, you can have, live a, a detrimental lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so when we have these coping mechanisms, when we have these attitudes, the, you know, that everything that goes into what is socioeconomic, me refusing care or help right now because of anybody or anything that I may feel is negative is stupid. To, to feel like I need to just man up and, and say, hey, no, I don't want to spend, you know, this money on antidepressants or I don't want to, you know, spend this money on a therapist. What if I tell my, my friends, you know, my homies that I'm going to therapy? What, what are they going to think of me? That cannot be a, a thing anymore. We, we have to eliminate that within our friend groups, within our, our circles, you, you know, and, and if you do truly love these people, you have to make sure that you communicate, hey, I am an advocate. I'm an ally. I am on your side. I want what's best for you. Eric, if you feel like you cannot come to me with anything in the world about your, you know, your stress, your, your health, whatever it is, then I am a terrible friend and I've done yeah. you a disservice by making you think that you cannot communicate anything to me. You can come to me and say, hey, I thought about killing myself today. And the first thing I will do is cancel everything else I've done or, or plan to do for the rest of the day and communicate to anybody that was waiting on me. I will be unavailable for the next at least two hours, right? Because mm -hmm. I am trying to be a good friend and I'm going to do what I need to for the people that I love and that I say that I care about. And so if, if you were to, to feel uncomfortable coming to me and saying, I, I thought about killing myself or I don't want to be here anymore, or I feel really sad, and you know, I, you can, you can say, I feel sad. It's okay to not be okay. And, and too often, especially within the black male community, we have this, this stigma that just, it, it's tough to get past mm -hmm. and, and to man up essentially what, what we need to do is say, hey, I know it's taboo and it's against the status quo for me to, to say, I've gone to therapy, me, myself as a black man, I, can, I would consider myself rather manly. I've been to therapy. I've utilized antidepressants. I have gone and, and sought out help for the challenges in my life that I felt like I could have gotten help with. And I was so much better for it. Now I'm at the point where I'm making a lot more money than I otherwise I'm pursuing options that I otherwise would not have had. Two terminal doctor programs and, and living in my own house, you know, purchasing real estate. I have a, a great 
quality of life that I otherwise would not have had, had I not equipped myself with the best tools to live my life a long time ago. And so that is something that we have to realize. If I'm not putting in the investment in myself now, I can't ever hope to, to reap the benefits of that investment later. And you, we've got to continue to invest in not, our, not only ourselves, but the people that we say we love, our friends, our family. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I talk about this a lot and I spoke about it in my book and other things, you know, um, surrounding yourself with the right people. Right. And um, I talk to I have this conversation with people all the time because I, I truly believe there's a difference between a hey, these are people you may have known and grow up with. And these are the people that are good for you. Right. Because they don't always necessarily intertwine just because you've known someone for a long time doesn't mean that they're good for you. Um, but a lot of times, especially like you said, us as black men, we I, I've been guilty. I I had the worst time with asking people for help, right? Until I hit rock bottom and needed help. And I, I had to figure out that hey, I can't do it all alone. And I think that's one of the things that it's a it's an unfortunate burden that's kind of placed on us as black men is we feel like we have to do everything alone and we don't have support. Um, because when we do ask for help, we see we see ourselves as weak, right? And whether that be with our, our finances, it'd be with our mental health, regular health. Um, you know, no matter with a job, it doesn't matter what it is, but I think that creates a whole different realm of difficulty for us. But I think that's a, a huge point. Like I definitely, <clears throat> we might have to make something with the, the name of this episode with that to man up, to man up is going to end up in a man down. Cause I think that's, that's truly important for us because there's a, I mean, we, I'm sure you have, like, I've seen a lot of good, good men, um, have bad things happen to them because they continually tried to man up, tried to man up. And it caused issues, you know, whether it be they took their own lives or, you know, maybe something less drastic, but still not as good. You know, whether that ended it ended it, their family, a relationship, you know, um, whether they, you, they got a divorce or, you know, their kids don't want anything to do with them or, you know, maybe it fell out with their family. It has all these follow on effects that, you know, their jobs, you know, they may get fired or they may not get promoted the way they want it to. There's just so many follow on effects that can affect you financially and mentally that um, we have to hit on. So that's. All of that is, uh, that's, that's great. Um, so, you know, before we conclude, um, you know, I know you've mentioned a few things that you, you're doing on the personal side as far as business goes. And I'd love for you to kind of put that information in there because I think that you can be a great source of information for people who um, want more information about these programs and things that, that they may not necessarily know about or may they may not know anyone else that they would feel comfortable speaking to about it and asking about it, right? Because that's the thing too, like everyone you ask, unfortunately, isn't going to provide you the information that you need, because some people do have a motive at the end of the day. So um, having someone like you who's in this field who actually wants to help people is going to be huge. And I think there may be a lot of people who end up watching this show who may want to reach out and ask you about these programs or things that you're doing in your businesses and your companies and how you know they could possibly help them. So please take this time and share whatever you need to share, because I think people need it. Absolutely. And I think it's a two-sided coin um, from, you know, a patient perspective. If it's you, if it's somebody that you know, or you love, reach out, you can reach out to me personally, my phone number and, and information I'll, I'll give to you to sort of put under the, the show notes. Um, you can reach out to me personally. I don't care who you are, what it is. If you need help with something, I will be there for you because I am somebody that's dedicated my life and my profession to care and not just care for people that I like, care for everybody. And that's what as providers, as medical providers, as doctors, nurses, whatever it is, we need to do as well. And if you are a medical provider, you need to be seeking out these resources and you need to be going out of your way to make sure that your patients and the people that you want to help and the people that you care for know, you know what, what is available for them. So Core Consult Rx is the plug I'll, I'll give today. That's our uh, pharmacology and pharmacotherapy uh, evidence-based medicine podcasts that me and some of my colleagues do uh, to help, you know, increase uh, awareness, education, and, and overall comfort with top-of-the-line uh, treatments, you know, just first-line and, and basically overall pharmacotherapy for a lot of different disease states. Uh, we go over certain, you know, topics in healthcare. We just did a, a podcast not too long ago on pharmacoeconomics and, and what goes into pricing for you know, insurance companies and pharmacies and things like that. And so there's so many good resources that you have. Um, as you're a medical provider, 
utilize core console. That's what I know, what I have that we do excellent work in, and we're there. And if you're, if you're just a patient, somebody that needs help, um, Renegade RX is my personal 501c3. Um, it's a, it's Renegade Health Solutions. We're there to help you find the solution to your problem, whether it's physical health, mental health, whatever it is that you need, you need to be able to seek those things out. And even in your own communities, if you don't live in the Charleston area, if you want to find somebody else, know where to look. Go to those health directories. Go to Google. Say, where can I find somebody to help me with this? And then start from there. That's, that's all I've got for you. All right. Hey, uh, well, I just want to thank you again for, you know, coming on the show today. You've provided a lot of good information, a lot of stuff that I'm actually going to personally dig into because I have, like I said, I have a lot of clients that could benefit from this information. Like I've had a lot of long drawn out conversations with people who are in, you know, some dark places due to not being able to get the medical treatment that they, them and their families needed. So this information is going to be um, huge for them as well so thank you for sharing and um so now you know get ready to end the show um so you know for those of you who made it through the show i want to thank you again for listening to the finance bruh um i want to ask that you subscribe to the finance bruh through whatever listening platform that you're using today be it youtube apple music whatever it may be please check it out you can also purchase my book on amazon it's called the end of smoker mindset that's on uh you can get it either paperback or you can get the kindle version for those people who like to use kindles as well um, also I have a budgeting course out. It's called the end of smoker budgeting course. You know, if you, I, I, I truly encourage everyone to continue trying to get your money together. If you have financial problems and you need, um, to get on track, this is a good start, you know, and then all of you can reach out to me. Um, you can reach me at my website, www.endthesmoker.com. You can go to my Instagram at in the smoker or my Facebook at in the smoker. It's simple to find me and I'm always here to help. Thanks for listening. Let's get in the smoker.